We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing has turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig. It is week 14 of the NFL season. We're going to take a look quickly at the Vikings-Cardinals game from Thursday night. Better than the typical Thursday game, at least. Uh, We're going to take a look at the injury report here on this Friday. Uh, Also get you ready for the Millionaire Maker. Just a $3 entry fee this week. More entries, of course, but different uh, sort of approach for the Millie Maker. So I'm kind of excited about that to get uh, several lineups out there 
for this week. But we'll start with that Thursday game. Vikings falling just short of getting a big win on the road. Arizona winning this game 23-20. Teddy Bridgewater played pretty well overall, 25-36, of 36, 335 yards and a TD. No interceptions, did have a fumble on the potential game-tying drive in the fourth quarter. Just didn't feel the pass rush very well. The internal clock didn't seem to be working, uh, and unfortunately, that was enough to prevent Blair Walsh from having a chance at a game-tying field goal. Yeah, I did not expect Teddy Bridgewater to play as well as he did, but you were right. It was it was kind of alarming how he didn't seem to, uh, particularly when it's a, a person as enormous as Calais Campbell, you would hope that he would kind of sense the uh, impending destruction there. But, uh, yeah, on the other side, no surprise that Arizona looked so good, uh, as always. They just they looked like they could, you know, knock off the Panthers in the NFC. Uh, those two look scary both. But, yeah, David Johnson emerging at running back. I don't know what reason they have to not start that guy the rest of the way. Um, I know Chris Johnson was playing well, and Andre Ellington's explosive. But this guy's such a good receiver, and he's like 225 pounds. Looked good yesterday, as he did the week before. So uh, yeah, I, I did not have any shares of Cardinals this year, but it's uh, that that's disappointing. Obviously, I was surprised that uh, David Johnson even yielded anything to Kerwin Williams, but a minor injury actually caused him to leave the game briefly. Kerwin Williams looks like a non NFL player, to be completely honest about where he's at Just, at this point. Are you sure it wasn't Stephen Taylor that you were seeing rather than Kerwin? Because I'm a bit of a Kerwin apologist, but <laughs> Stephen Taylor, on the other hand, I think just does not belong anywhere near the NFL. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it, 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 it was probably the injury um, because, yeah, he's he's been very good consistently in the last two weeks. He's looked like a three down, you know, viable starter. So I'm trying to figure out what Arizona's defense is all about. It definitely was Kerwin Williams, six carries, two yards, a long of seven. So Oof, okay, well, five, I'm apologizing for that. Five for minus five outside of that long of seven. Um, the, Kerwin. the Arizona defense played well in that they bottled up Adrian Peterson, 23 carries, 69 yards, and a TD, but a, a costly fumble. AP's had some trouble hanging onto the ball this season. They don't his use him. career, really, he's been a fumbler. It's just he's so good when he doesn't fumble, you don't care. Well, yeah, and, and he's not coached by Tom Coughlin, but uh, he doesn't catch many passes. That's still kind of par for the course. So 85 total yards from scrimmage, a TD, a, a good performance nonetheless. But did Arizona really just sell it to stop the run, and is that ultimately why Bridgewater had such a seemingly good game through the air? Well, that would make sense, and it's. I think both of us would do exactly that if we were going against uh, Minnesota. So uh, that could be the case. <clears throat> it's just hard to explain why Bridgewater wouldn't have done a little better in the games before this one when that game plan, I'm sure, is the approach of every single defense that faces the Vikings. Stephon Diggs, he continues to be quiet. Two catches, 12 yards, seven targets. I think it's really a function of getting a lot more attention from opposing defenses than he was earlier in the season. What do you think the next few games, I mean, the next three weeks, next two weeks matter for season-long players, but what do those weeks hold for Diggs? Because he went from a guy who at one point looked like he was taking over this receiving core, maybe he still will, uh, to someone that is really kind of a borderline like wide receiver three or even a flex consideration on a week-to-week basis right now. It was weird that he didn't do anything yesterday when Bridgewater uh, otherwise improved, but I, I you look at the target numbers with him, and they're not quite as high as they were in that four-game stretch back uh, like September-October um, when he was really hot. And uh, But yesterday he had seven targets, just caught two for 12 yards. 
you would think he has to finish stronger than he's been in the last uh, six weeks or so, but it's it's just hard to feel like Teddy Bridgewater is going to do any particular thing on a predictable basis. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, with you there. Now, Kyle Rudolph led the way, six catches, 67 yards on six targets. Jarris Wright, five for 51 on six targets. It was Mike Wallace hauling in Bridgewater's only TD pass, three for 42 on five targets. So a whole lot of uh, non valuable contributions really in, in more standard formats on the Cardinals side in the passing game it was Carson Palmer going 25 to 35 310 yards two TDs Michael Floyd five catches 102 yards and a score on nine targets uh, scoring on a long TD thanks in large part to a huge block from Larry Fitzgerald who frankly kind of just does everything at this point I mean he's one of the best receivers I think in terms of real football even though the uh, value in fantasy is more like a top 12 top 15 type I mean this Arizona passing game is so dangerous because they have three guys that are all quality playmakers you've got Floyd and Brown Floyd's got the size and speed combo that like typical freak top end receivers have Brown has feed speed that's even faster than that even though he's a bit smaller and Fitzgerald for his age is still a very good player yeah, <clears throat> Fitzgerald's a Hall of Famer. That was a, that was an awesome play. Uh, not just the block, but uh, I didn't I didn't know Floyd had that extra gear that he showed too. I mean, he was always you always knew he was fast for someone who's two hundred and twenty pounds. But he looked uh, he he seemed to just kind of like hit a totally different uh, velocity than everyone on the field there. So uh, yeah, there's no reason to think that passing game is going to slow down, especially if all three of those guys are healthy. So we've got a lot of injuries to run through here. It's you know week 14 after all, so players are pretty banged up uh, at this point. Not a huge surprise. The injury report is heavier now than it was earlier in the year. Uh, some good news from the Eagles. You've got Ryan Matthews listed as probable to play against the Bills. The only downside there is we really don't know what they're going to do with the carries. It's a revenge game in the sense that you've got Shady McCoy going up against his former team. You've got DeMarco Murray as the guy that Chip Kelly sought out to replace Shady McCoy. Chip Kelly still strikes me as the kind of guy, like most people, who wants to prove himself right. So I could see DeMarco Murray coming out of relative nowhere, which is weird to think, uh, to get 15 or 20 carries and actually have a pretty heavy volume. But the return of Ryan Matthews makes actually predicting that a lot more dicey. Yeah, and as much as as much as Chip Kelly might want to prove himself right, uh, I think he kind of showed that he was perhaps willing to be pragmatic last, you know, in the last game when he gave Kenyon Barner more carries than he did Demarco Murray. So uh, that that moment said that I uh, that indicated to me anyway that if if Murray continues to be clearly a misfit in the scheme, he will you know leave him on the shelf. Because uh, yeah, Murray just is a north-south guy. There's too many. There's too many play calls in that offense that drag the run to the outside, and Murray just isn't very good at that. Get the rags ready. Uh, Jag injury updates here. T.J. Yeldon was added to the Friday injury report with a groin injury. He's listed as probable to play against the Colts. Doesn't look like anything that's going to keep him out of that matchup. Uh, Jacksonville will also have Alan Hearns back. Uh, he missed uh, th- again last week's game with a thigh injury. Actually, was put on the design. This is weird. He missed last week's game with a concussion, but popped up on the injury report this week with a thigh injury, which is very kind of unusual. Hmm. My question with Alan Hearns, though, is do you expect him to see the same types of targets he was seeing pre injury? Because Julius Thomas was banged up throughout this year. Now that Thomas is healthy, I feel like that that run of Hearns scoring every week, I mean, that was going to come to an end anyway. But I think the chances for him to continue 
producing even a, a TD every other game are gradually beginning to fall. Well, uh, it looks like they were on the field at the same time in weeks 12, uh, they being Julius Thomas and Alan Hearns, uh, in weeks 12 and 13. Uh, over those two games in which, uh, let's let's look up Blake Bortles' pass attempt count over those two, just so we can kind of get it like a, a relative perspective on it. Uh, but yeah, uh, sorry, just a second. 12 and 13, and we're talking... Uh, 85 pass attempts so that's a lot that's more than usual but in any case 15 targets for uh julius thomas and um let's see. or sorry so there, there was there was a uh, one game i guess there and it was nine targets for uh hearns in that game uh 10 for julius thomas so i think there's room for them to coexist but uh i, I guess i would expect alan robinson to get his target volume scaled back a little bit it's sky high right now and it can it can lose a little bit and still remain very high so i think that'll happen because hearns is averaging almost like 10 yards a target this year he's someone they gotta keep giving the ball oh yeah he's gonna be the first option for blake bortles on pretty much every play uh, so I think that's something that you're going to see continues. That's something 10, 12, maybe even 14 targets a game for Robinson. Maybe he loses a couple here and there with everybody getting back to health. The Bears are a little bit banged up in their group of pass catchers, uh, more specifically at tight end. Martellus Bennett, of course, hitting IR earlier in the week. But even Zach Miller, the backup tight end, who's now the starter, has a rib injury. He is listed as questionable to play against mm, the Redskins. Lovely. I mean, there there would be some some punt play appeal at tight end if Miller is able to play in that matchup against Washington. Yeah, I have no idea what to make of that injury report, but uh, Zach Miller is actually, he's been a productive pass catcher in the NFL. Uh, started with the Jaguars, uh, not as a starter, but he began his career with the Jaguars. Had a ton of injury issues, has always been injury prone, but he's really athletic. Um, so yeah, if he's on the field, I think you have to like him in that one. Um, but yeah, there's there's a few other cheap, at least on uh, DraftKings this week, there's other cheap options at tight end. So I might kind of lean more toward uh, Austin Seferian Jenkins than uh, Zach Miller just because of the, the injury being, uh, you know, the tiebreaker there. No Kendall Wright for the Titans this week against the Jets. So you're probably going to see a lot of Darrell Revis on Doriel Green Beckham in that particular matchup as Revis should be ready to roll for the Jets. Julian Edelman was back on the practice field Friday. He's not going to play in week 14, but maybe we'll see him back perhaps two weeks from now. The big news, of course, out of Patriots camp this week, Rob Gronkowski back on the practice field Thursday. He's officially questionable to play on Sunday night against Houston. I'm a little bit hesitant to say that he's ready to roll because I I feel like the Patriots are going to err on the side of caution, given that they're going to win their division. Whether the seed still matters a lot because you you want to position yourself ideally to have a buy, and if you're the two seed this year, you probably miss the Steelers uh, right away in in round two if the Steelers can win their playoff opener, which would be a good thing. Really, you don't want to be the three seed and have to play Pittsburgh first. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with Gronk, he was wearing a knee brace at the, at the practice. So with him calling that a bruise initially, I don't know what you would need a brace for. Like, there's a, a brace is for like structural support. Uh, that obviously doesn't do anything for a bruise. So uh, it's, it seems like he was dealing with more of a sprain. And in that case, you would expect him to miss more than one game. So uh, I, I also don't see any reason why they should rush him back, at least uh, you know when we're talking about this type of an opponent in a context where the stakes aren't really that high. Perhaps another week to utilize Scott Chandler in both season long and on DraftKings. 
The Redskins are going to have Pierre Thomas potentially replacing Chris Thompson in the lineup this week. We'll see if Thomas is actually active. He signed a contract with Washington here at the end of the week. Thompson is dealing with a torn labrum in his shoulder. I would think that maybe Thompson's season is over, but they, yeah, that's they have not said as much. So for now, that's sort of uh, ambiguous. No Carlos Hyde this week. Not a big surprise. Sean Drawn gets another start against the Browns. Brandon Cooks, who they thought maybe had suffered a concussion during practice on Thursday, is officially listed as probable to play Sunday against the Bucks. Uh, this is kind of the where things stand. Head coach Sean Payton said that Cooks was held at a Thursday's practice as a precaution after experiencing some dizziness during Wednesday's practice. So a lot of confusion about what happened and when, but it was a practice week issue. Cooks fully practiced on Friday, so it really looked like the Saints were just treating some symptoms and not really dealing with an actual concussion, or at least not a diagnosed one yeah, uh, from, from what we can tell. So any any hope that Brandon Coleman would uh, emerge to be useful this week probably gets dashed because it sounds like Brandon Cooks is uh, going to play in this one. Heath Miller, probable the rib injury, not a whole lot of value there, just getting the Steelers' offense even closer to full strength. I mean, what that may do is it may chip away at the targets of Marcus Wheaton, who's been uh, surprisingly productive here in recent weeks. Julio Jones has been kind of hampered by a knee injury. He's listed as probable for that matchup against Josh Norman and the Panthers. Probably not much to worry about there physically, but you do wonder what kind of line he can put together against what has become arguably the league's top cover corner this season. C.J. Anderson and Ronnie Hillman both banged up Mario. Coach Gary Kubiak saying Friday that Hillman looks fine with that foot injury and he will start at running back Sunday against the Raiders. Could see a little bit more Juwan Thompson, though, this week because C.J. Anderson seems to be legitimately questionable. Kubiak saying that Anderson is still, quote, really sore. So I think uh, given the scientific nature of that diagnosis, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say there's a a better than 50% chance that C.J. Anderson gets some rest here in week 14. Yeah, I don't don't see C.J. Anderson playing either. Uh, I don't know what to make of the Hillman situation. I mean, he practiced today and it apparently was, it looks like he was kind of, you know, resting absences prior to today as opposed to someone who was truly on the shelf until today but yeah you just who knows what who knows what's going to happen with that uh i think you have to go with you have to like hillman quite a bit in season long but maybe in daily the the prospects of uh thompson getting in there might limit to might limit hillman to more of like a gpp consideration i guess now i know when you are drinking your annual or i should say your weekly case of beer on sunday uh, you're going to be watching. Oh, uh, that's like that's like bi-weekly, something like or, only, not, twice weekly or every other uh, week. That's uh, the weird sorry, thing no, about two, bi- two, two times in a week. That's, I guess. that's why I don't like bi-weekly. I screwed that up probably. Uh, bi-weekly no, 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 is it's both. Uh, it's both. It, it's ambiguous. It's a stupid thing. Like it, it could be every other week or it could be twice in one week. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Like uh, let's let's contemplate this and figure out a new word if necessary. But yes, two two times a week. Got it. So you're gonna have your case of beer open on Sunday. Uh, you're probably going to be watching the game on the front lawn, I'm, I'm guessing. And it's going to be the Browns, I assume, because they're playing San Francisco. This game means absolutely nothing other than you know draft position implications. Manziel it, fan club is active that day. Exactly. It's the Johnny Manziel fan club. Here are the weapons he should have. Gary Barnage expected to play. He's been dealing with an ankle injury. Brian Hartline also expected to play. He's been dealing with a hip injury. And Travis Benjamin should be good to go. He's been dealing with a shoulder injury. So it looks like a pretty healthy complement of pass catchers are going to be at the disposal of one Johnny football in week 14 yeah i am a i I don't know what to make of his personal situation or his standing within you know the weird political situation 
with the Browns, but I still do believe in Johnny Manziel's skill set. So uh, I, I do think that this is a situation where he should be able to perform okay. But uh, it's also one of those things where it's like, do we really even, like, is Mike Pettin going to allow that offense to run the same way it does with McCown, where they're just airing it out recklessly? Um, it, seem, it seems like they, you know, there's, there's the risk of them scaling it back because of the just preconceived idea, like, oh, he can't handle as much or whatever. So I'm not getting my hopes super high for fantasy. Um, but uh, as it turns out, he's five thousand on DraftKings, so uh, that's that's obviously quite low for a, a quarterback going against the 49ers with dual threat abilities. I will admit this is a recycled comment only because at least one person listening, hi mom, probably has heard this before from me. But I would throw out my arm if Mike Pettin were inside of a dunk tank at a carnival. <laughs> and softballs were three for five dollars i would either throw up my arm or throw myself into bankruptcy putting mike Petton repeatedly into a dunk tank for charity that's nice of you right um, yeah I, like i would tear my own labrum for charity yeah that's that's how you should frame it uh but yeah i i, I don't know what i have i i honestly find the browns just boring at this point it's like the 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 skirmishes they get into are so petty and like uninteresting that I'm just trying to fast forward through that whole era. But yeah, I I, I hope they let Johnny Manziel like actually run that offense. That's all. That's all I'm asking of Pettin. Like, just please let him try to succeed here. I want Mark Cuban to buy the Browns. That's like the only thing that could save them. Yeah. It, well, it's hard. It's hard to find a downgrade to the current leadership. Like it's it's just a circus. I just think Cuban would do a lot of things to fix it. Like he'd look at it and he's like, "We're blowing this thing up." I mean. We're going to start over. We're going to get rid of these stupid plain helmets and these ugly colors and this losing added. Like he's just going to completely redo everything. Either we change the name or we change the color of the helmets. An orange helmet doesn't make sense. Or put a logo on it already. I mean, yeah. the, the, the plain helmet's not working for you, Cleveland. You got to do something. Uh, Lions had a couple injuries in their receiving core to mention. Kelvin Johnson expected to play against the Rams, even though he didn't practice Friday and is listed as questionable. I'm a little nervous about that if I've got him going in a season-long playoff matchup. I'm not going to use him on DraftKings this week, even with six or seven lineups. Well, uh, I mean, if if we can get confirmation that he's playing at, at a time where you can actually, you know, where it's useful information, that changes things because uh, Janoris Jenkins is out, I think, for the Rams. And on uh, some level, we're just you know not worried about Calvin Johnson in any particular matchup as long as he's playing. Uh, also, Robert Quinn, the defensive end, will not be playing. He's on IR. Hmm. He's their best pass rusher on the edge. Obviously, Aaron Donald's their best guy on the inside. But um, yeah, I mean, if Calvin Johnson's in, I do like him a little bit. But I, I guess like you, I'm, I'm more inclined to go with what I perceive to be safer options and the similar tiers. You know what? I think I might have one entry with Kelvin Johnson in it then. You've, you've talked me into it, Mario. I, after I score the passionate brisket. defense for well, yeah, Kelvin Johnson. Very passionate. No, very logical, though, with Janoris Jenkins uh, missing this one or likely to miss this one at least. I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to score the brisket, get into the slow cooker. You know, scoring, of course, and you like, kind of cut like little like, like kind of slits into it so it, it absorbs the juices and everything. Get that in there probably by 9.30 eastern time and then just camp out in front of my laptop for about 12 hours while the brisket cooks and while the games are, are going on and that's just, just get mad and just, just be angry mad. all day but i'm gonna eat the entire brisket like that's the 
take, I, it, take I, it out on the brisket. I'm making two days worth. I'm going to eat it all in one day because that's that's what we do in America. Absolutely. Uh, Lance Moore listed as questionable. Actually, no one cares about Lance Moore and his health status. What so. team does he play for now? I actually don't know who he plays for. No, he's a lion. He's the other lion. one. Yeah. Okay, right. I didn't know if he was in Pittsburgh or something. No, no he's the other pass catcher for the Lions who's uh, in, in some question Good for this up. week. Yeah, great pickup. Charles Clay, probable to play against the Eagles. Shouldn't be any problem there. Business as usual for him. Maybe that game comes out a little more high scoring than some people are expecting. The thing about the game last week, though, for the Eagles, when they went into Foxborough and, and beat the Patriots, I mean, return TDs, uh, defensive touchdowns. It wasn't as though the Eagles' offense was vintage Chip Kelly at Oregon. You know, it's still right. it's still a problem. Yeah, I I don't. I don't mean to put down Kenyon Barner, but if if you end up in a situation where Kenyon Barner is, you know, one of your lead ball carriers in a game like that, clearly you're a little short on conventional answers at this point. So uh, I don't I don't expect Philadelphia to have any particular particularly reliable traits on offense. They're probably going to be up and down. Uh, the defense is always aggressive; has been making turnovers the last couple of years. But uh, I, I guess I guess I just I don't know. It it just seems like they don't have a good enough players on offense to be good reliably. I'll, I'll sign off on that. Ty Montgomery, questionable to play against the Cowboys on Sunday. He's dealing with an ankle injury, was limited in practice all week. Seems to have an actual chance at coming back, even though Mike McCarthy hinted just a week or so ago that Montgomery may not be back at all this season. Again, the key for me is that Montgomery can run really fast and run in straight lines and maybe manipulate a safety a little bit. Uh, if that happens, I think that could change things a bit for the Packers' offense, but we'll see if he actually suits up. Something to keep an eye on, nonetheless. The 49ers, oh boy, what a disaster. Vance McDonald, I mentioned Carlos Hyde earlier. Vance McDonald's also out this week. He's got a concussion. Really? Uh, so Blake Bell may be getting some looks from uh, Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, Blaine Gabbert has been throwing to the tight end, pretty much just the tight end and Sean Drawn, who, by the way, I... I, up until like a week ago, I thought Sean Drone was uh, Ruben Drones. I was confused. Same guy. Yeah, because like people say Sean Drone sometimes. I don't know how his name is actually pronounced, but I was just like, oh, that guy Ruben Drones is back. But I took, I just figured it out uh, like a week ago. I'm really stupid. Um, anyway, that offense is is pretty bad looking, uh, but the the usage seems kind of predictable at least. Yeah, I could I could see Blake Bell getting some targets. At least if you're in a two tight end league, he'd be a guy to think about picking up who yeah. could be of some value for week 14. Uh, Cecil Shorts and DeAndre Hopkins both probable to play in that game against New England, so it looks like Brian Hoyer will have his top two wideouts available. Oh, I, I mentioned this, uh, I forgot to mention this as part of the other San Francisco injuries. Torrey Smith actually questionable with that back injury. I don't think he's really anyone people are relying on, but just want to throw it out there in case that happens to be a situation you're facing. Matt Hasselbeck, probable to play against the Jags. What about Hasselbeck as a GPP play, just given how terrible Jacksonville's secondary has been this year? Well, I I don't know what to make of Hasselbeck's actual condition right now. I mean, it sounds like he was pretty messed up last week, and he played like crap, so that would perhaps be attributed to the injuries that he was dealing with. But, I mean, neck and back injury for a guy who's 40 years old and just looked awful last week. I obviously you're going to have a low ownership, but I'm not sure I see the uh, the the probability of any good stats coming out of that. Yeah, I think that's that's a reasonable, pretty reasonable take uh, based on, on on the functionality of the offense. Even though he's had success, the 
week to week, they haven't put up gaudy numbers or anything like that. So I think you get, get a good result against the Jags, but I don't think he's necessarily going to win the week for you either. Right, uh, just yeah, based just, on the ceiling just, being kind of He low. should be okay because he's got good receivers, obviously, but the Steelers' defense is not very good against the pass, and they just made him a, like a complete mess last week. So I don't know. There's there's enough affordable options, but yeah, I'd much rather have Menzil at 5000 than than uh, Hasselbeck at any price. If you're crazy enough to be using one of the Broncos' tight ends, it seems like Owen Daniels may be a little healthier right now than Vernon Davis. Davis questionable uh, due to a concussion, but limited in practice Thursday, Friday. Daniels listed as probable the knee injury. Just look elsewhere for a tight end. Uh, some other good news for the Saints, too. This kind of goes with the Brandon Cooks uh, probable designation. Willie Sneed is probable with a calf injury, so it looks like they'll have to rely a lot less on Marcus Colston in that matchup, too as they match up with the Bucks on Sunday. Amari Cooper is probable with a foot injury. Taiwan Jones, you don't care about Taiwan Jones, so we'll move on from him. Uh, Vincent Jackson, probable with a knee injury. That Bucks saints game should be a shootout, but I feel like on DraftKings, I just want to fade both sides. If I have anybody on either side, it might be you know, Doug Martin, perhaps, just because yeah. if, if it goes going, high, he's going to get going his with a lot share of, of yardage. Martin. Yeah, I mean, at 6,200... In a game like that, I, I I I think that the potential for pass yardage is being well. I should I don't even know how how people are viewing this game exactly, but I would guess the reflexive assumption of most people is yeah, like you said, shootout, all kinds of passing yards. Did you see what Kirk Cousins did to the Saints? Jameis Winston's going to do that, but uh, I don't know that the the Buccaneers might be more so inclined to just let doug martin and charles sims kind of do most of the work because then they can keep their defense off the field and i mean you you can run on the saints just as easily as you can pass on them so martin's having a big year obviously i i think this makes sense for him to to roll in this one and i'm also going after um at 2700 i know he's gimpy coming back from an injury but austin safarian jenkins at 2700 i mean that's an easy that that that's my, yeah, I'm going to try to you know hedge my assumption that the running game takes precedent for the Buccaneers by going with Safarian Jenkins because 2,700 and you protect yourself against the possibility of Winston going off by getting some shares of that. Uh, I, I really like him at that tight end spot. I just think compared to Mike Evans especially, you're going to get a really small ownership number on ASJ, so I, I like the call there. Uh, I don't know what happens if you put a, a Raven into a wood chipper, but I think we're going to see that happen. Uh, on Sunday, as the Seahawks head to Baltimore, Matt Schaub is listed as questionable. However, Jimmy Clausen is expected to start, at least based mm. on some of the reports I've seen today. Uh, he's not going to have Crockett Gilmore available. Gilmore has a back injury. He's listed as doubtful. He didn't practice all week. But Max Williams could be back from a concussion. So you think about Kamar Aiken probably being matched up on Richard Sherman, somebody has to catch the 20 or 25 pass attempts that Jimmy Clausen puts up. And, I mean, he can probably complete conservatively. At least seven of them. Yeah, I was going to say eight, so we're, we're kind of on the same page. Maybe pushes double digits. If he completes eight passes and only one goes to Kamar Aiken, could the other seven all go to Max Williams? Well, I just happened to drop Eric Ebron in the stake league and picked up Max Williams in his place. So uh, that's not exactly a... A ringing endorsement i just am so hopeless with ebron that i was i was quite uh, before that i was going with ryan griffin of the texans so obviously this isn't a useful like a this is not relatively useful but uh i i think max williams is a really good prospect i i don't know whether the circumstances he's walking into are are something where you want to you know assume much but gpp I, I think it makes sense to consider him so the thing about the fantasy playoffs that drives me nuts is that you agonize over 
all of the bottom end roster decisions, all the things that you wouldn't care about as much during the regular season because there's still plenty of time and it's it's a coin flip or maybe you just pick a reason to stick with a guy and, and you, you live with it. You go back and forth throughout the weekend or even throughout the entire week with players like that. My example this week is in the Stopa League. I lost Jimmy Graham a few weeks ago. It's a two tight end league. Nice. I, I didn't have a good second tight end even then. Now I've got crap. I mean, I've got Kobe Fleener hanging around he's got jacksonville this week maybe that's okay fine whatever it's a half point ppr like there's it's a a two tight end 12 team league there's not much out there so i had luke wilson i picked up luke wilson when graham got hurt he doesn't really do anything he's not around much they just don't use him that much in the offense max williams is available so i went ahead and picked up max williams but i also picked up jordan cameron who's barely been used Although Dan Campbell keeps saying he wants to see more from Cameron and more importantly than that, which I think that kind of coach speak is meaningless. The Giants are just as bad as Oakland is against opposing tight ends. So Mm. it looks like a good spot. But now I'm just wrestling with this idea that I can't get the Cameron versus Max Williams decision right because I'm overthinking what's going to happen in that Ravens offense in Clawson. I would go Cameron just because... I think that that Giants uh, Dolphins game has the look of a potential high score, and uh, I just I don't know if there's enough garbage time in the world for a Matt Schaub offense uh, to against or sorry not Matt Schaub Jimmy Clausen offense uh, to get anywhere against the Seahawks. But uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like I feel like basically your, your better chance at a fluky touchdown would be Cameron just because of the environment he'll play in. That was the reasoning I used, but I've got Williams sitting there on my bench. You don't have any hope either way. I didn't. No, it's crap. <laughs> it's it's a crappy give scenario. Up, give up. <laughs> I forfeit right now. I'm going up against uh, I think Scott Pianowski this week. I'm pretty sure he's won the league twice, so he's um, he's wealthier than I am. But yeah, I think he'll be okay. It would be nice to to get through and, and win this. League. Maybe Jordan Cameron will undo his season. Who knows. That would make me very happy because it was among the things I got wrong uh, while um, while going through the NFFC drafts back in late August. Actually, it was early September. It's all it's all kind of a blur to me now. Uh, as far as other injuries, this one's kind of interesting. Jarvis Landry limited in practice on Friday with a left knee injury, but with the Dolphins and Giants playing on Monday, probably not something to be overly concerned about. Just be sure on Saturday to double check to see that everything went off without a hitch and it should be business as usual for Jarvis Landry as the number one receiver in that Dolphins offense come Monday night. We've partnered with our friends at DraftKings to run an exclusive Rotowire fantasy football contest. For the final four weeks of the football season, Rotowire podcast listeners can participate against each other and against us as hosts to earn a seat at the Rotowire Fantasy Football Championship in Week 17. The Week 14 qualifier is now live. It's just $5 to enter. The winner takes home $100 and a seat in the Week 17 Championship. Join in the fun now. Sign up at rotowire.com slash DraftKings. That's rotowire.com slash DraftKings. I mentioned this earlier uh, as part of the intro, the Millionaire Maker, different format, more entries, but a smaller entry fee, Mario, $3 entry fees, I think about 950,000 entries max in total. We'll see if it actually gets up to that point, uh, but kind of a different strategy because I think when you're talking about five or six times as many entries as normal, some, even more depending on previous entry prices on the, on the Millie Maker, you really have to think about combinations of lineups that 
are lower owned. I mean, you have to do your best to really kind of pivot away from some of the more obvious sorts of things and just making sure that you don't end up with an extremely chalky lineup because there's going to be other people that might have it. With that, with that many entries, there could actually be full overlap, even though the permutations are crazy high in number. So how do you think about your lineups? I mean, do you, do you think as, as building blocks go, do you find a couple quarterbacks you like and then build several lineups with each quarterback? Or do you try to vary everything up kind of from top to bottom just to get a lot of differentiation? Well, at $3, I mean, I guess you can kind of afford to do the strategy of just, you know, betting on anarchy, like just just betting on things that you cannot reason as as picks that make sense. But using that as the exact, you know, banking factor, like, oh, maybe just wacky stuff will happen this week. It's it's the NFL. Stupid things that projections cannot foresee happen every single week. Um, so it's merely betting, uh, you know, just anti-chalk as the policy could pay off. Um, I have no idea what to think, what to guess about, you know, the the effect of switching from a $20 buy-in to a three and greatly increasing uh, the entry pool like that. It's like with that happening, do you think, do you think it's just easier to not make chalky picks just because people will a be making more lineups in general and therefore diversifying more and uh just be the you know the size of the pool uh also you know dictating that people just not make the same picks over and over like they normally would because uh, when you when you get to like your second and third and fourth choices which is you know that's still just uh uh, 12 out of the 20 dollars that you would normally pay it's like you're obviously not going to just put the same lineup in every time right so. i think i think what i might do is I, i'll build three or four lineups that i really like and then just mix and match the pieces in the best ways possible to make out my other five through seven lineups as opposed to trying to have like seven completely unique combinations of play i mean each combination will be unique but i guess what i'm saying is i don't want to have a portfolio of 70 different players you know i, I right. want to have 35 players combined a few different ways or 25 players combined a few different ways over my seven eight nine ten whatever however many entries i end up finishing with I, I want it to be such that my failure to combine the players i like correctly i want to minimize the chances of that being a reason why i don't do well yeah you should definitely uh you know make make your projections for the games and the players and be like these are the people who i think are most likely to score highly like you you, you need to have the highest scores to win but uh yeah i just I, I i don't yeah i almost wonder if that bigger player pool means that you don't need to worry so much about being chalky just because people will just buy the the price of the buy-in just kind of you know spread out their bets anyway I don't know. Um, I, I guess I guess I'm gonna kind of just make the picks that I think are the highest scoring projected one, rather than worrying so much about the game theory aspect of it. Uh, just because I, I don't even know how to wrap my head around something like this to begin with. What do you think the for the for the for the owner or the user who has the most entries? What do you think their entry total is going to be? Do you think it's gonna like be like ten thousand entries for somebody? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea how to answer that. I just yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, I just want, I just wonder like yeah, what's what's the know. max gonna I, be? The thing like I can't think of a theoretical reason why it can't just be like almost limitless, you know, up to the threshold of where you can't actually make money if you exceed that buy-in threshold. Um, yeah, I mean you're gonna see like people with thousands of entries, I would imagine. So we'll start at the quarterback position, kind of go position by position, like we do 
every week. And Tom Brady maybe gets Gronk back. Maybe he doesn't. We're not going to know until pretty late Sunday afternoon or early Sunday evening. I mean, even last week, mostly because the Eagles with those defensive touchdowns, return touchdown, because they opened up a big lead in the second half, Brady slung it 56 times, 312 yards, three TDs, had a rushing touchdown as well. He had 37.8 fantasy points on DraftKings uh, last week. I mean, this game is on the road at Houston. The difference between Brady's home numbers and road numbers this year have been pretty small, so I don't get to worry too much about that. Uh, Houston's defense, though, has done a pretty good job holding opposing passers in check. For the most part, they've been a, a decent pass defense this year. I just look at Brady and the Patriots, and if, especially if Gronk doesn't play, I have no idea what to expect from that offense going up against that Houston defense. Yeah, I, I also I don't know what what kind of uh, what kind of conclusions we can reach about whatever JJ Watt's broken hand might affect this game. Like, I I, I would guess he'll probably be about the same player, but obviously if he is not. Uh, there, that would be something that would make it significantly easier for the Patriots to move the ball because J.J. Watt alone, you're like a third of the way to a good defense. So uh, yeah, if he's if he's limited, that would be good, uh, obviously. But I don't I don't know how to project something like that. I don't like you. I don't know how to project where the touches are going to go on the in the offense. I think it makes sense to pick Brady just because he's he seems matchup proof and uh, if if. If New England scores, it, it seems almost certain like he's going to have something to do with it. So uh, I, I don't see anything wrong with picking Brady, but like you know, Blount versus James White, uh, Amendola, LaFell, whatever, whatever, Chandler. Chandler just seems like a fine, easy, you know, open and shut pick. But uh, yeah, the receivers and running backs, I just don't know what to do with those. Here's something you can do. I'm probably going to consider this for at least one lineup. You can put Brady and Gronk together in the same lineup and it's going to cost you 7800 for Brady and it's going to cost you 7700 for Gronk so 155 for the duo and if for whatever reason Gronk's not going to play if he gets ruled out you'll know before the game starts you can switch and you can switch to Beckham so you got to do this in the flex spot so it all works you could switch to Beckham at receiver and Eli Manning at quarterback like you could pivot once you find out that Gronk's not going to play and if Gronk does play you get a slice of a player that can do a lot of damage who simply may be extremely low-owned. So I think that might be one way to go about it. Maybe you still have a lineup with Brady and Chandler in there anyway, but you, you want to do it in a way where if you're trying to put that combo out there, you have a fallback that you like that costs the same amount of money in terms of the combo, and it's basically Eli with Beckham. It would be Tannehill with like Landry, which doesn't cost anywhere near as much. You could mm-hmm. get to mess up something else. Like I think that might be the only way to actually switch it out to something of similar value. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable, and I I do like the alter. I specifically quite like those two alternatives you mentioned. Maybe not Tannehill so much, but I I think there's a good chance I'll have uh, Eli Manning and Odell Beckham in more than one of my lineups. Scrolling down a bit from Brady, though, you got Cam Newton at 7,500. Not really any argument against him. Uh, Aaron Rodgers at 7,000. Maybe the, the low ownership potential there makes him somewhat appealing, given that we're talking about $3 entries now. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to pick much of Rodgers because I, I think the nature of playing against the Cowboys tends to lower a player's ceiling just because the Cowboys just don't run many plays. Um, the 726 plays is what Dallas has run, which is uh, second lowest in the league behind the chargers uh which is you know that's like 130 fewer plays than the eagles have run so uh yeah i, I think rogers could you know he, he's good enough it's at lambo uh 
Cowboys are going to give the Packers short fields because the Cowboys offense is hopeless. They have zero hope. Uh, they will not move the ball. They'll turn the ball over. So Rodgers should have touchdown opportunities, but I don't know what the odds are of him exceeding like 230 yards passing because I, I can see him scoring four times, three times in that in that amount. Um, and while that could be totally good, you know, to cash pretty high, I, I, I mean, that would I guess I'm expecting something like um you know 20 to 23 fantasy points from rogers whereas i think you your ambitions in this uh, millionaire maker context are more 30 point range i feel like i want to make a three dollar hedge against my stopa league team because i've got aaron <laughs> Rodgers there and i've got Devonte adams on my bench and i think i should just put rogers and adams in the millie maker lineup because if for some reason they go off at least i get the rogers in the stopa league but i won't have adams in there you know so right. that'd make me feel better about getting bumped out of that out of that league if i did really well in the Millie Maker because of Devonte Adams having the best game of his life, and let's be let's be honest, that probably isn't going to happen. Probably uh, not. Drew Brees at sixty eight hundred against the Bucks. I think there could be a reasonably high ownership rate there for Brees on the road, at least, if only because the over under is expected to be pretty high. Maybe I make a lineup with him because of the Cooks and Sneed good news that we've seen here on Friday, but I'm not crazy about it. Roethlisberger at 6,800, that could be your highest-owned quarterback given that it's a high-scoring matchup against the Bengals in a game the Steelers actually need pretty badly to help solidify a playoff spot. Yeah, I'm looking up Cincinnati's pass defense, and it's actually quite good, but you do get the feeling that a quarterback as good as Roethlisberger in a scheme that's a pa- uh, an aggressive passing scheme, Todd Haley runs there, with Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant to throw to, you just feel like those those variables make them almost matchup proof, uh, especially for fantasy considerations. Like even if they lose this game by twenty points, it's like you're not worried about Roethlisberger and Brown letting you down in any scenario, really. Um, so yeah, I, I can imagine him being pretty highly owned. I actually, I, I don't know how to uh, project you know his ownership re- relative to the other players. I think we're gonna we agreed before like. Uh, Jameis Winston's going to be way up there because he's cheap and he's going against the Saints. Makes plenty of sense. Uh, Tyrod Taylor's really cheap at 5,400 against the Eagles. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I'm expecting Roethlisberger to kind of be like the fourth or fifth behind, you know, like Newton, um, Tyrod, maybe Russell Wilson, and, uh, you know, Bortles, something like that. Um, but either way, I think he's totally fine pick for the millionaire maker because I, I, I don't think he's going to be like you know 28 percent owned or anything like that i do have some fear with russell wilson that the game could simply get out of hand and it's the thomas rawls show so i think mm-hmm. that might be my only hesitation about going too heavy with with shares of, of russell wilson for this week but i like that the way that lines up against baltimore if baltimore can somehow hang around in that game i think wilson could go off yet again i like eli i think matt ryan at the same price at 6100 he's upset a lot of people this year disappointing time and time again if there were ever a game ever a matchup for him to somehow figure it out it would be against the Carolina defense it's actually been a bit more generous to opposing passers than you might realize I mean you think about some of the point totals they've allowed in recent weeks this isn't a shutdown Seattle like at its peak sort of defense it's actually a defense that can be vulnerable to a shootout I'm not just talking about the game last week against the Saints they've had some points this year where they've allowed 24 plus and as long as Julio Jones is on the field, I know Josh Norman could maybe keep him quiet, but I, I kind of tend to err on the side of Julio Jones being able to get the better of that matchup. If that happens, he can drag Matt Ryan along with him, and I think a lot of people are going to stay away. 
I, 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 you're right that people will stay away. That is for sure. Uh, I, I will be among that group. I just don't, I just don't know that the the structure, the nature of the Atlanta offense is one where a player like Matt Ryan can get you a, you know, a desirable GPP outcome. Uh, not so much because of the matchup. I, I almost feel like it doesn't matter what the matchup is. It's just with, if Julio Jones is not open or they can't complete the pass to Julio Jones, they're resigned to a, best case scenario of like a seven or eight yard gain to jacob tammy or Devonte freeman there just is no second receiver in that offense it's just either it's julio jones an incomplete pass or a check down so i don't i don't know if they can i don't know if they can create you know the aggregate production necessary to 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 get a gpp outcome there but uh julio i think makes plenty of sense regardless of the matchup bortles is intriguing at six thousand. i'm not crazy about stafford at 5800 the rams i don't think they're good but they can show up from time to time and ugly up a game maybe the lions get a lead and they just run it a lot with abdullah and joik bell and gross that's just uh, <laughs> i don't want anything to do with that uh, mariota gets the jets 5700 on the road i'm not crazy about it but i'm not necessarily opposed to it the, the i'm a little low on mariota i guess uh like i think he's awesome i think he's on an amazing trajectory for a rookie quarterback but um if Revis is playing right so yeah Revis is supposed to play kendall wright and is no kendall out. wright yeah so kendall wright is out uh, yeah, being on the road and the Jets, the Jets have had some like meltdown games, but outside of those games, they've been pretty good on pass defense, even with some questionable personnel. I mean, Todd Bowles is definitely one of the best defensive coaches in the league. The defensive line can make things a problem. Like Tennessee's pass blocking has not been very good this year. I'm going to have to deal with Leonard Williams, Damon Harrison, Muhammad Wilkerson. So uh, I don't like Mariota so much, and even if even if I did like the matchup a little more, you have to you have to worry a little bit about the trendy pick there after his amazing game last week. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. Now Jameis Winston is fifty five hundred against the Saints. He's at home. That's going to be probably even more owned than Roethlisberger. It's hard to see that not being the most owned quarterback pick, just because all the projection machines out there are going to say like pick Winston. He's so cheap. The matchup cannot go wrong. Um, I just it, it you, can, you, you always you worry about a scenario where New Orleans's offense does not do well and the Buccaneers can just let yeah Martin and and Charles Sims take care of everything, which they probably will be able to do in that scenario. You worry about the game the Saints had against the Texans a few weeks ago as like kind of a, oh, exactly. a warning yeah. as far as what that offense might. You do. might get your two first quarter touchdowns, but uh, we're just going to run out the clock after that. The other quarterbacks that are cheap are kind of a mix of interesting i mean ryan fitzpatrick's 5400 you mentioned tyrod taylor earlier at 5400 not opposed to building a lineup around him against the eagles uh hasselbeck at 5200 i think given the alternatives i'd probably stay away but if you want to go a little different i don't think that's very out of the ordinary uh brian hoyer 5200 home against the patriots to me the texans are so bad at running the ball without arian foster that brian hoyer almost has to air it out 35 plus times to beat the patriots yeah he threw 43 passes last week so i i think it makes plenty of sense to consider hoyer in a gpp especially if you think uh if you like brady this week i think you have to like hoyer uh i mean he'll probably need to rely on garbage time to some extent but it should be there uh they're not going to run like you said or if they do it's basically just to run out the clock rather than you know the expectation of actual production so I, I think you have to like Hoyer's chances of going over the forty pass attempt mark again, and in that case, uh, you have to you have to view him pretty favorably at that price. I think. 
Tannehill, Osweiler, both 5,200. Don't think I'll be building around either of them just based on... Uh, 19 pass attempts for Tannehill last week. Like I, I, I know Bill Lazor wasn't running enough, but uh, that's, kind of an, that's kind of an obnoxious... Uh, almost like it almost seems like reactionary on the part of the Dolphins leadership, whoever called those shots. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Tannehill's big games are always the ones where he has those ridiculous pass attempt numbers. And if you can't bank on that anymore, I don't know what good he is. Maybe you make one lineup with Tannehill and Landry because 5,200 is cheap and it will open up Landry a lot of other possibilities. Landry sure is in play. Yeah, him and Devontae Parker both are in play. Jay Cutler, 5,100. I mean, if Jay could help me win a million dollars, he would really be my favorite quarterback of all time. Yeah, uh, I think there's a reason why he probably won't be your favorite quarterback of all time. Um, he, he could do okay in this one. I mean, Washington, it, it's, its personnel in the secondary is not very good. and it's. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like if, if Zach Miller's at all gimpy, Alshon Jeffrey is the only viable target aside from like Matt Forte and Jeremy Langford. So I have I have a hard time seeing how how Cutler would get the volume uh, a player like him would need to give a big return. Let's move on to the running back position. Devontae Freeman, easily the most expensive option at seventy seven hundred, uh, gets a reasonably tough matchup against Carolina. If only because the Falcons could fall behind in this one. With that, it'd be the Matt Ryan show. But Freeman catches passes, so he wouldn't be completely worthless it's just interesting to see that there's almost a thousand dollars difference between freeman and matt forte along with todd Gurley, who are both at 6800 do any of the top three backs appeal to you because the one that maybe i, I might build at least a lineup or two around actually is Gurley. if the rams keep that game interesting Gurley's going to be a big part of the reason why and i feel like his recent form is leading some people to stay away I'm actually a little bit worried about the injuries in the St. Louis defense making the Lions a more viable offense than they would normally be. And if the Lions do get ahead at all, uh, that might be it for Gurley. Like I don't. I'm, obviously, it's futile for the Rams to try to play catch up, but I think they'll try their best anyway if they should fall behind. Um, even if it might be more realistic to catch up by just giving it to Gurley 30 times. Um, I probably won't be going with Gurley. I think out of the top three, the most interesting to me is Forte. Um, Kirk Cousins on the road, and uh, I don't know. I just I just don't think the Washington defense is actually very good. Forte, however, is really good. And uh, last week, ran for 84 yards on 21 carries, caught five passes. He could catch like, you know, five to eight passes in every single game the rest of the way with Martellus Bennett out. So I actually like Forte quite a lot. Um, But yeah, at the very least, you can bank on those three having pretty low ownership numbers, especially Freeman, I would guess. I would assume the interest this week is going to be mostly with guys like Doug Martin, home against the Saints at 6,200, Shady in his revenge game going back into Philly at 6,100, D'Angelo Williams at 6,000. It should be a very high-scoring but close game between the Steelers and Bengals. I mean, Jonathan Stewart at 5,800 is reasonable. uh, I really like John, uh, Lamar Miller and uh, Thomas Rawls actually as well so those 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 guys are all pretty good i think the giants run defense has been okay but uh i i think miller is like uh lamar miller is so good that he he is close to matchup proof or at least the giants aren't good enough uh to actually slow him down especially if they stick with him like they have uh, or like they did last week against a tough baltimore defense a defense that's certainly tougher against the run than the giants are so uh, i like miller he's cheap at 5700 rawls it's a similar thing i mean it's not a good matchup but uh, we think Jimmy Clausen is going to give up short fields. So uh, if we think Seattle is going to score, 
I think Rawls is a is a great bet to do so. So I really like those two. But uh, yeah, McCoy McCoy and Doug Martin are tough to fade, even if chalky. Because um, yeah, I, I really like Martin. I don't think I don't think the Buccaneers. I don't think it's really in their nature to willingly get into a shootout. I think they would rather control it on the ground uh, with Martin. But yeah, they're 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 really good options all in that range. D'Angelo Williams too, obviously, is is a very nice player for six thousand dollars. I'm at least giving some thought to Sharkandrick West at fifty one hundred. Although I'm not sure how exactly the Chiefs are going to carve up the carries between West and Spencer Ware. But you got to love the matchup for the Chiefs going against the Chargers home game at Arrowhead, San Diego. It just seems like is really falling apart. But the run defense has been a problem for the Chargers all season long. What about Eddie Lacy? I mean, the, the hoagie incident with Mike McCarthy seems to be in the past now, and he's rejuvenated, as we uh, we discussed previously. Highly juvenated at this point. As juvenated as he can possibly be. You get Lacey at 4,700 in a game the Packers should be able to handle and win at home against Dallas. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a matter of what you expect the workload to look like. 4,700 seems like the right price. I just don't know how much I trust Mike McCarthy. If three dollar entry in the Millionaire Maker, I like Lacey. Um, if we if we were still at twenty dollars, I'd probably be like, eh, but three dollars, my my lineup's gonna suck anyway. Who cares? <laughs> um, so yeah, I might as well go for Lacey in this context. I I think it actually is a good play though because Dallas, I'm sure, will you know their their defense has talent in some areas, especially in the front seven. Um, you do worry about the clock running out because Dallas is such a plotting team; they just run out the clock right away with their running game. Um, but the, the the Dallas defense has to just break in the second half because the offense will just leave them high and dry. No defense can play just you know sixty minutes, as, like especially in Green Bay um, against Aaron Rodgers. So I think the Packers will break them in the second half if if they don't in the first. And Lacey has to be a favorite to score a touchdown, even in his currently a you know disgraced state. Trending further down the list, I mean, you might Hill think. In. Hillman, yeah, 4,700 should have some interest there, especially with C.J. Anderson looking like he's going to have to sit out. Uh, James White at 4,100 caught a lot of passes in the fourth quarter of the comeback effort by the Patriots that last just, week. Yeah, that might be the chalkiest non-chalk play on the slate just because it's uh, that that recency bias of him you know, crashing the party last week. With, did he catch 11 passes last week? 10? Yeah, dry, dry erase board play, James White. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he might be surprisingly uh, highly owned for someone in this price range, but I would not be able to argue against it. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's any worse of a prospect than Deion Lewis was, so I don't know why he shouldn't succeed in that role. Oh, 10, ca- uh, 10 catches last week, not 11. Sorry. So the Eagles have, I think, DeMarco Murray at 5,000, Sproles at 3,500, Ryan Matthews at 3,400. Any of the Eagles running backs, their respective prices of interest to you against Buffalo? I think Sproles and Matthews are kind of interesting in a GPP, especially Matthews. Uh, Matthews yeah, is I, really I, good. I, I kind of like Matthews quite a bit at that price, actually. Um, I might have to swap out my Devonte Adams flex spot for uh, for for some Ryan Matthews there. But yeah, I, I think at that price it makes sense. It's it's not like a great matchup, but it's just one of those things where we've seen enough wacky game scripts this year all all years really that some somebody like matthews scoring two touchdowns wouldn't be shocking and at that price that's just a that's a home run value well if you are having the kind of weekend where you might be drinking things from underneath the sink uh cj spiller and tim hightower both three thousand dollars i mean you could think about them as flex options you could think about them as punt running back options 
Uh, if you're going to pick one, would you go Spiller because of his ability as a pass catcher? Well, Hightower can actually catch too. I just it's a, I don't know how we're supposed to get a read on what exactly the deal is there. I don't think beat writers really know. It's like the most solid thing we've seen on that backfield is, you know, Hightower could be the lead early down back. And it's like, well, what what is that based on though? It's like it seems like we're just speculating because it 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 just doesn't look like a reasonable situation really, uh, or at least you know it, it didn't. What's not reasonable is how little Spiller has played before this point, um, especially given that they you know went out of their way to get him this off season and he was originally one of the theoretical replacement options for Jimmy Graham and they just kind of left him on the shelf. So I don't know if he's on bad terms with Sean Payton or if he's just not looking good in practice. But I like Spiller a lot more so because like. Hightower is not explosive like he can probably pass block and he can catch passes pretty well but Spiller is the guy you can I mean he already this year had like a what it was like an 80 yard catch for a touchdown so 3,000 that's very tempting I'll probably have to get at least one Spiller Uh, I I guess I don't feel strongly enough about Hightower to take him over like Ryan Matthews if I can afford it yeah I would agree with the Matthews over Hightower uh, option there but I do think the idea of making a lineup with CJ Spiller in it could be a good one at the receiver position you got to pay up for the top options Beckham at 9100 Antonio Brown at 8900 Julio even going up against the Panthers and Josh Norman $8,900 DeAndre Hopkins at 8500 and then Allen Robinson at 8000 rounding out the top five but if you can save money at the other positions I, I'm all about building with Beckham and or Brown this week I mean I feel like it's just never a bad investment to go after them and I think in these particular matchups against the Dolphins and Bengals respectively you're looking at really high floors but with ridiculous ceiling that you get with those guys each and every week yeah uh Antonio Brown is over 40 DraftKings points in three of his last four games and the one that he didn't was on the road against Seattle um so yeah this this is not there's really no matchup for me where Antonio Brown if if Roethlisberger is healthy uh Brown's matchup proof in PPR it just doesn't matter and this is a high stakes game that could turn into a shootout if uh if if Dalton doesn't play terribly so I, I like I agree with you. Antonio Brown is a great pick. I I really want to get Odell Beckham just because the Giants and the Dolphins are are both uh, among the highest tempo teams in the NFL. Which in the NFL, the NFL high tempo doesn't really mean that much, but it's nice to get two teams who who are in the leaders of plays run because uh, you would, you would hope that would you know create both uh, you know just more targets and and you know more garbage time if there should be any. But uh, I, I think I think Beckham is basically high floor, high ceiling in this one, and I'm I'm gonna have a lot of him this week. I love me some pace. I'm trying to build out a lineup, and maybe it's possible where I have Beckham, Antonio Brown, and AJ Green. Green's at 7,900 just to go really heavy with those elite receivers, and then find those cheap running backs. Maybe it's like a Matthews, CJ Spiller duo where. If the two running backs go off, I'm just going to be feeling really good about my chances of cashing in a big way. Yeah, uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And if luckily, uh, or I mean, n- not luckily, if if you're trying to make a if you're trying if you're trying to limit all the distractions, all the distracting alternatives that you could go with, I think you can do the same thing at running back. Uh, you know, go, go up for uh, McCoy, Martin, something like that. And then at receiver, you got a few bargain targets like Emmanuel Sanders at 5,900, I think is a really good deal. Uh, Sammy Watkins at 6,100 is a bit chalky against the Eagles, but I like it a lot because, um, I mean, those corners cannot cover him. They can't. And if, if that's, that's an up-tempo game, 
then how do you, how do you not like Watkins there? Uh, so even with the chalk, I just I just like his chance for like a thirty point fantasy game. So I'll I'll probably have a bit of Watkins too. But yeah, otherwise. Uh, if you can afford it, like <laughs> so, like an an Odell Antonio Brown tandem would be pretty sick. So and all you need is like CJ Spiller to catch five passes for that to work. So yeah, there's there's a lot of flexibility with this cap here. Yeah, if you go Beckham Brown and don't throw an AJ Green, that opens up a lot more flexibility. But I'm definitely going to kick around a few options like that. Mike Evans, Elshon Jeffrey at 7200 and 6900, probably going to be among the higher owned receivers. Of course, Evans going up against the Saints, Jeffrey going up against Washington. Uh, do you fade them in the tournaments this week, or do you at least build a couple lineups with them in it? Because again, we're dealing with three dollar entry fees in the Millie Maker instead of twenty. I think it makes sense to have like at least some exposure to them but generally uh jeffrey is like the ultimate cash game play this week i feel like uh you know value adjusted obviously you would prefer odell and antonio brown in a vacuum but at 6900 i mean i feel like with martellus bennett out uh jeffrey should probably be like 8000 or something so i think he's an enormous value you just worry about you know the 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 ownership numbers loading and he's like 32 percent owned or something i feel like evans will be even more owned than jeffrey though so given that would, the choice that would make sense too, i mean, I mean like the I'll, projections I'll just... the projections must love all of the, the tampa bay passing game even if I'm, I'm i'm a little worried about like the flow of the game limiting their upside a bit but i obviously evans is a freak uh winston's playing well and the saints just don't do anything on defense so. you meant you mentioned emmanuel sanders before i think 5900 5900 is a good price there against oakland and if uh if cj anderson's out there could be more usage to go around in general and uh why not to those two receivers demarius thomas and emmanuel sanders that's one of the things i like about the broncos they don't spread the ball around all that yes. much yeah. uh for me I, I think crabtree at uh 5900 is probably someone i stay away from going up against denver even though Amari Cooper might draw more Tlaib. I just I don't want any part of that Denver defense right now. I do like T.Y. Hilton at 5,900. If you don't want to pay up for Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant continues to be a steal yeah, at 5,700. 5,700 for Martavis Bryant is nice. I, I, I got to find a way to get him in my lineups. Willie Sneed, 4,400 if you want to get cheap shares of the New Orleans offense, but not crazy about them on the road even though tampa can be vulnerable what do you think about oh sorry i did not mean to totally interrupt there what do you think about doug baldwin and the millionaire maker because he is like cash game lock i think but 4500 with all the uh highlight reels he's been in the last month is it, is it worth it at all in a gpp of this size see he's cheap enough where i feel like fading him might be a mistake because by having him you just open up so many other interesting possibilities throughout your lineup but he's the kind of guy that if you're going to build a beckham brown jeffrey trio in your receiving core you might have to throw him into the flex because the amount of money you're going to have left for each spot once you go with the cheap back and a defense is going to be about 4500 so then you're going to have to go cheap flex low-end tight end maybe austin safarian jenkins who you talked about before go cheap quarterback and then another cheap running back and that's your lineup like that that's a good way to get there i mean you have to think about some of these sub five thousand dollar receivers if you're going to try and and squeeze in a lot of those top end guys i mean the other cheap receivers that are interesting in the gpp context Devonte Adams at forty two hundred, uh, mostly because everybody hates him now. Anquan Bolden at four thousand because Blaine Gabbert's throwing him passes, but for four thousand, I mean, what do you what do you need Bolden to catch seven balls for eighty yards? And if he were to score, that'd be huge at four thousand. Uh, but Devonte Parker, Devonte Parker is going to be the chalky low cost tournament receiver for this week. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know what to think of him either because uh I first of all, I think Devontae Parker is a really good prospect. Like I think he's I think he's like 90% of AJ Green and AJ Green is, you know, a, a good bet to be a top 5 receiver any given year. He's bas- he's very similar skill set wise. He's just like an inch shorter, probably not as good of an all-around uh athlete when you adjust for size, but he's really good. And last week they didn't throw the ball at all. He still got 63 yards and a touchdown. Uh, after catching four passes for 80 yards and a touchdown the week before that i'm totally sold on him as a talent but uh jarvis landry was very quiet last week that doesn't seem like something that'll happen two weeks in a row so i think you have to expect parker's share percentage to drop like a lot um but similarly i mean around the other side of that though you you don't really expect Tannehill to throw for like 130 yards two weeks in a row so there's room for both landry and parker i'm just not sure there's enough for both to be worthwhile in a in a gpp outcome and i guess generally i feel like landry has to get a pretty decent serving this week let's move on to the tight end spot now we talked earlier about uh, combining brady and gronk and then being able to just flip it out and go to uh, beckham and uh eli say beckham eli manning instead because the cost is such that you'll have enough money under the cap but again to do that gronk has to be in your flex spot essentially unless you've got some other third player that you want to manipulate accordingly but i think it could make sense to do that because there are enough cheap tight ends where i feel like i'm getting good value when i plug in two tight ends i mean you could go if kelsey at 4700 julius thomas at 4200 clay at 3500 there's there's just plenty of ways to build a lineup that you feel good about that has two tight ends in it I, I know it's probably not the most sound tournament strategy, but I have no problem going with a lot of Safarian Jenkins at 2700 And again, like like I said before, I feel like Safarian Jenkins is the perfect way to hedge against the possibility of a big Winston game if you don't otherwise want to invest in that Tampa Bay passing game. Um, he's an obvious red zone target, but he's athletic enough to make plays between the 20s. Got six targets last week in his first game back from injury, so... I, I really like Safarian Jenkins, uh, even if a lot of people are going with him. And I'm I'm very intrigued, actually, by the possibility of going two tight ends in the flex if Zach Miller is playing. Um, because if he's playing, I mean, we, we, we got to expect him to get like six targets at least. And against Washington, I, I can see that if he if he holds to his past career averages, that's that's a pretty good bet for 50, 60 yards and a touchdown on four or five catches. And that's at twenty seven hundred. Right. So that, exactly. that's, that's where I think a lot of these two tight end strategies are built. And it only becomes a two tight end strategy if Gronk plays. And then you, then you have Gronk at low ownership, which is the best type of Gronk to have. So <laughs> It's a very rare Gronk and a good Gronk. That's a very rare Gronk indeed. Now, I, I like I said, I don't expect him to play, but right. you should be positioned in a way where you can take advantage of it if he does. That's how I would recommend trying to do it. Uh, Olsen at 6,900. Never feel real bad about that going up against Atlanta. No problems there. Delaney Walker against the Jets. Eh, ho-hum on that. Not crazy. Not necessarily going to pay up 5,600 for him. What I can get Tyler Eifert for 5,600 uh, in what should, again, be a high-scoring game between the Bengals and Steelers. He's a really good tournament pick this week because he's, he's just expensive enough that people won't just flock to him. But on it's a it's a perfect matchup because, yeah, they, they got to go to the air in that one. I think the flocking will probably be uh, to Julius Thomas at 4,200 potentially. And eh, maybe not necessarily. The I, I targets aren't I that think crazy. I Safarian Jenkins is going to be the most owned just because at that price, I mean, that that that's like a he hasn't played in a month price. That's, a, that's, that's what the Sharps are going to do. Like the really good 
tournament players are going to have him, but I don't think the masses are going to gravitate towards Austin Safarian Jenkins. Really? Oh, I mean, a lot of smart people. I, I think, hope they don't, because I would much rather have him to myself. It's just I, I, I figure like you know optimizers and projection, uh, like projection models that factor projection points versus salary are going to have him at the top values of the of the week. So I, I hope you're right though, because I would I would much rather have him to myself. I'm just going to spend all my time building lineups, hedging against my Stopa team. That's that's all I'm going to do for the next three weeks if I play that long. You know, depending on what happens, it may maybe one and done in the postseason. But we'll we'll see. Uh, man, it would be nice to like kill off a student loan because of winning a fantasy football league. That would be that'd be pretty cool. That'd be a pretty good day. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it'll happen someday. Maybe not this this season, but someday it's going to happen. Defenses, okay, look, everyone's going to want to use Seattle, 3,500, probably going up against Jimmy Clausen. Baltimore's bad even if it's Matt Schaub. I mean, we talk about it a lot. There are certain low-cost plays that just make sense, even though the ownership rates will likely be very high. And I think the Seattle defense might be one of them. Now, your alternatives, the Broncos at 3,400 are at home against Oakland, they could be reasonably like lower owned compared to a typical week. I also like the Packers at home against Matt Castle. Uh, the Chiefs against the Chargers, I'm a little more lukewarm about, but that's a reasonable spot as well at 3,200. Maybe the Lions at 2,700 against the Rams. I think you brought them up a bit earlier in the show. Uh, but what defenses are you most likely to use? Is it the four I just mentioned, or is there a fifth one maybe in there? I th- after thinking about it a bit more throughout the recording here, I've singled out certainly uh, Seattle. I'm going to probably go with them for the most part. But if not them, then Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay, where where is their stupid price? Okay, 3200 for Green Bay. They're not exactly cheap, but at home against a Dallas offense that is just uh, hopeless. I, I like the Packers a bit, but I, I do want to pay up for the Seahawks if I can at all. And I'm not worried about the ownership so much because – defenses are just weird and it's it's not the same theory just cannot apply to them as it does positional players and i feel like this seahawks scenario is a rare one where it's like we i mean knock on the fake wood table we have here it seems like it just can't be screwed up like they're going against jimmy clausen on a team that probably has the worst skill position players we've seen in like i don't know how many years i mean it's like worse than the browns obviously due to injury but still it's so bad like kamar aiken is by far their like kamar aiken and max williams might combine for like 20 targets in this game um so yeah i love the seahawks i feel like it's a it's a it's it should be a certainty and if it is that's worth paying for i'm i'm shaken by your your fake wood comment about our table our table is it real wood i it it's like either really i just like, assumed it was like really dense cardboard or it something. might be if it is it's extremely heavy for a for a fake wood table but um man my world is upside down but no i mean i think defensively yeah the ravens the ravens skill position players are so bad that you, you really it's, it's like a once a decade type of thing how bad their skill position people are it's second time this season seattle gets a look at jimmy clausen too last time i mean the bears really turtle shelled it but still i i can't imagine the ravens wait that was when was this, this that was, was like this week four of this oh, year man week five. i thought i was just like dreaming that i okay. think jay and jeffrey were both hurt so it was clausen playing and martellus Bennett was the really only healthy That's right. Man, quality that, pass catcher. Jimmy Clausen is 
he drew the luckiest of straws. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> the yeah. privilege of playing them as a as a backup twice in a year on different teams. On um, two teams that were depleted by injury at the time. <laughs> too. Was it wasn't like he was the only player who was in because of an injury. He was playing with a lot of other second teamers. Now now Jimmy Clausen is basically nothing but a human shield quarterback. He's the guy you sign when it's like, we need a quarterback to just take a beating this week. <laughs> need someone to get out there and, and just let people come watch us play because if we don't have someone under center we can't play the game that's pretty much what jimmy clausen is at this point thank you for listening to the rotowire fantasy football podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports use the promo code rotowire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today if you're enjoying this podcast on itunes or stitcher if you could please leave us a nice review we'd greatly appreciate that it's like the podcast tip jar that doesn't even require any money you can also check out rotowire for free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod good luck in week 14 nick and i will be back with you on monday Your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.